We're going to get everybody a couple minutes just to get um, logged on here. We have our very own Laura Lee Hall, who Dr. Laura Lee Hall, uh, who will be moderating today's panel. And it's a lot about a lot of the work that she's been doing over the last, probably, I want to say officially over the last like year and a half or so, but probably been working on this and pro programs like this we're engaging in the community for since she joined NMQ, NMQF and likely before. Um, before I turn it on, uh, turn it over to her, I just want to Remind folks that we have our national annual summit on health disparities coming up at the um, middle of April, so April 17th and 18th, where you'll see in person folks like these explaining, uh, talking about their different work in the healthcare space and reimagining healthcare. Um, but without further ado, I'd like to turn it over to Dr. Hall to lead today's discussion. Thank you, Brandon. Um, welcome, everyone. Um, I'm going to share my screen. And, and just do a few introductions. Let me get into slide. So are you all able to see that? Thank you. So here's what we're talking about today. Empowering COVID prevention and protection in the pandemic and beyond. I have the great pleasure and honor of working with two great panelists today. One is Lois Priverdum, who is the Senior Advisor of Policy and Advocacy at, and Director of Adult Vaccines at Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health International Vaccine Access Center. So her bio was so long, I just reduced it to internationally renowned vaccine expert. <laughs> we are also greatly privileged to have Vivian Clark Amstead uh, as, as a panelist today. Um, she is the co-chair of Health and Wellness Ministry at Trinity Baptist Church. And her bio was even longer, if you can believe it. So I just shortened it to be an award-winning and dedicated community health leader. But let, them, let me set this up a little bit. We're actually gonna talk about this tool that we've developed together um, to um, a resource that faith community leaders and health community leaders can use to really talk to folks about what's happening with COVID. I do wanna call out the fact that we got support for this program from an independent educational grant from Pfizer and we're grateful for that. This is under the auspices, if you will, of the Faith Health Alliance. Um, so NMQF, mm -hmm. my center, the Center for Sustainable Healthcare Quality and Equity, SHC, I should say our center, because uh, we have Leslie and um, Chinny as integral parts of it. We, we launched the Faith Health Alliance in 2020 under the leadership of co-chairs Bishop Carter and Reverend Dr. Terrace King. Now we have 20 churches nationwide who are passionately committed to promoting health in their congregations and community. And here's that who's who's list. I invite any churches out there, we invite you to join the Faith Health Alliance. And um, anyone who wants to connect with the church to do health promotion and health equity promotion, please don't hesitate to reach out. Okay, so maybe everybody is thinking, 
why on earth are we talking about COVID? Isn't that over yet? And I would suggest to you that there are a number of reasons that we need to keep our eyes on the ball. First of all, uh, this is just a picture from a recent um, documentary. There's a lot of vaccine misinformation out there. Indeed, much of it is um, being focused on communities of color. So vaccine misinformation. So in my email box today, I get this uh, journal article. So there's new science happening all the time. And I'm not gonna say more about this, glad to share it if you are interested. So the CDC basically added COVID vaccines to the regular vaccine schedule for kids and adults. And the FDA, you see this was a headline on Wednesday, is considering authorization of an updated COVID-19 booster shot. So I add this here to say that, you know, things that keep evolving, both policy and probably biology and certainly research. We all know the public health emergency for COVID is coming to an end in May. And that will have a, a series of, if delayed, but complicated impact on um, us in the community. So I'm still answering the question why. So you see that we're not at zero for hospitalization, for example. So 15,000 people hospitalized. And we're certainly not um, you know, having a high level of booster given out. So there still is COVID. And not only that, there's disparities in COVID vaccination. So this is for the updated bivalent booster. And you can see that while let's uh, white non-Hispanic, the rate is 16.2%, not something to brag about, huh? But look at where the black non-Hispanic population is. And look at the Hispanic and Latino population. So there are disparities out there not just in vaccines, but also in access to Paxlovid treatment um, for here is our black population, here's our Hispanic population. And it's not just disparities with COVID, it seems to have a spillover effect in other vaccines, like much lower um, flu vaccine coverage for black non-Hispanic children really large gap in terms of black non-Hispanic pregnant persons, and even in adults, um, much a bigger um, gap than has been seen previously. This is pneumococcal vaccination. Um, and so you know that this is the overall population and here's uh, the um, black population and here's the Hispanic population. So disparities in vaccinations generally is the point I wanted to make. So our co-chair, Bishop Carter, was quoted as the COVID-19 pandemic, which hit our community so hard, also proved that partnering with trusted individuals and organizations like Black churches can lead to improved healthcare access and outcomes. We cannot go backwards, and many fear that we are.
So my conclusion is that we have to work in our communities to keep up with the changes and protect ourselves. I'm just giving you a little reminder that the NMQF summit on April 17th and 18th at the Watergate Hotel in Washington, you can uh, email Brandon to register for the event. I will remind all of you, please put your questions in the Q&A. We'll have time to go through that. It is being recorded and will be available on NMQF's YouTube channel. Um, and I'm going to turn it over to Lois now. I really thank all for your time and attention today. Great. Thanks, Laura Lee. And uh, I really love that uh, introduction. <laughs> makes makes me feel very important. So <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, hold on a second. Let me just share my screen. Okay, and I'm not quite sure whether, okay, there it is. Okay, so we're gonna talk a little bit about this program and, and why we put it together. And this was a, a joint effort, one that I worked closely with, with Laura Lee and her team to put a series of slides together to really help the, the various churches present a lot of the data because data are constantly changing with COVID-19 and it's been a real challenge. So the real reason that we're doing this is because there's a disproportionate impact in many of the communities and Laura Lee just showed you the data. We believe that those impacts, the disproportionality can be changed in a number of ways. And it's real heroes down on the ground that are the people that are trusted messengers, people that can provide you know, good information and the link to the healthcare system. So what they're doing is providing information on, on the risks of COVID-19, which still exist, how to be diagnosed, treatment and prevention. So Ms. Vivian's gonna take you through the, the slide set and talk about all of these different factors. The other thing that we thought was important is that we empower the trusted messengers and community members in the church to build health literacy because it's important that people can you know, protect their own health and protect the health of their loved ones. And to do this, we provided tools that can improve access, can address myths and concerns. And what you'll see over on the right is with the little picture, some of the things that we provide are coming from CDC or coming from uh, other places that have already developed uh, questions and answers, things that would be useful in the community to be able to protect your health. And most importantly, what we want people to do is to really be able to build trust in the health system. So by training people in the Faith Health Alliance, our goal is really to make them as um, knowledgeable as we are about COVID-19 and be able to answer some of the questions and have access to people to answer the questions that are stumping people 
because you know there's no way to know everything but when you know a lot and know where to go it can make a big difference so some of the ways that we thought about in engaging the community including you know setting up learning sessions so sessions at the church where you're presenting the slides and training people to uh, know about COVID-19 and gain that knowledge, to also train ambassadors in the communities to speak about COVID-19. So it's not just a, a one-time session, but there are opportunities to train others, to talk to their friends, talk to their families and others in the, commun in the community. What we're also seeing is a lot of examples where the, the churches are leveraging activities that are held for other health concerns. So with people that are at greater risk of you know, diabetes and heart disease, maybe HIV or, or other types of conditions, there's an opportunity to bring those communities together and talk about more than one thing. There's a lot of fatigue talking about COVID-19. So bringing those topics together and making them specific to a particular issue can also help. We've developed slides to um, practice, you know, focus on scenarios to communicate with vaccine hesitant people. And it's not just for vaccines. It could be people that are you know, hesitant of treatment or the healthcare system itself. But what this enables is to think about how do you communicate and what are some of the best practices that you can take forward? Things like, you know, being respectful, making sure that you listen and not doubt somebody for the, the um, misinformation that they might have. But to really, you know, start to un unwind the reasons behind that and get into a conversation. There's also opportunities. We're providing materials, so uh, materials that can go into church newsletters, on social media, on websites, or in-person activities. And then there's resources on diagnosis, prevention, and treatment. So this is just, um, this last slide is, is just an example of some of the resources that we do provide through the slide sets. So there's a number of different sources. We have a you know, COVID-19 resources uh, library where there's a, a QR code with a link. There's also a really great site called Public Health Collaborative. Um, this provides a lot of uh, communication material gets into things like um, what happens when there's misinformation. How do you respond to some of the tough questions? So all of that material is in, in the slides. And then of course, CDC and um, other key sources are listed here. So you can go in, the links are there to, to find information directly. The toolkit will also include some updated messaging. And so there's a lot of material here. We're interested in hearing from, from you about what's there, what you use, what's missing, what needs to be changed, because this is an effort that is a collaborative effort, one that you know, we get feedback from the community. It was great to have 
the churches together to say, you know, what should be on the slides? What is the type of information we need to move forward? So I'm gonna turn it over right now to Miss Vivian, the, uh, the real star of the show, who has really taken wow. these slides and you know, done just such an amazing job in being able to explain those. So thank you. Good, good afternoon. Thank you, everyone. Okay, good afternoon. Thank you, everyone. Um, I'd like to thank Laura Lee and um, the um, Faith Health Alliance, uh, Chinny in particular, uh, for um, uh, involving uh, my church in this initiative. And that I hope after uh, listening to this that you will consider uh, uh, getting involved and having your church as a part of this. Uh, the slides that were presented by Lois uh, like I keep telling her, these are um, her slides, really, uh, that have been tailored so that we can use these as we do the work on the ground, because we are the messengers that will have to um, uh, continue to address COVID-19 prevention and protection in our communities. Next slide. Not protecting this. Uh, Laura Lee has already, um, um, Dr. Hall has already said that um, uh, we want to thank Pfizer for their uh, independent education grant and the uh, um, Center for Sustainable Health Quality and for John Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, who is all a part of putting this together. Next slide, please. Uh, one of the takeaway points uh, of, of this is that over time, cases vary. And so the most important thing after you look at all of these slides, because you won't remember them all, that the takeaway points is that COVID is still a threat. Uh, new strands are happening every day. That prevention measures still need to be taken. Your mask, the washing your hands, the social distancing are still an important prevention measure in preventing COVID. And that vaccinations is vaccination, vaccination, vaccination. No matter what preventative measures that you take, um, the vaccine is one of the most valuable tools in the toolbox that you can use. And also that we protect our children. And so since cases vary over time, if you're uh, the person designated or you're the ministry designated to do health um, initiatives within your church, then the most important thing is that you keep up with how your cases vary as locally, how your health department or the CDC is saying whether you're a high, medium, or low risk in your area will determine what mitigating um, tools you need to use to keep that um, um, transmission from happening. Next slide. Uh, like I said, this is another way of looking at how the cases vary by region. Uh, the, as you see, it's color-coded so that when you go to these different resources, you can actually look at the color coding and tell what your region is experiencing as far as infection rate, hospitalization, severity of illnesses. And that way you will know how to mitigate with your mask. When do you implement mass social distancing within your faith community and within your life in general? Next slide. This is another way of looking at it. Like I said, that the, that we said the points I said at the first part is that it's still a threat because new variants are coming up every time you look around. We're now at the XBB 
1.5 variant. We were at the Omicron variant. We've had different variants. And as these variants mutate, they became more easily to spread. So they caused uh, more severity of, um, of uh, uh, illness. But one thing about it is that the vaccine has so far been effective against all variants that we've come across. But as viruses do, they will mutate, they will come into new forms of the virus. And the more people that are vaccinated, the less threat of this happening will occur. As we get vaccinated, then we cut down the opportunities for the virus to mutate. Next. Hospitalization and severity of illness and death always um, Blacks are, are at the top of the list in almost all health disparities. So once again, when you're the layperson, and I'm the layperson uh, in this group, the rest of you are, are quite professional um, um, public health figures. I've worked in public health for over 25 years also, though, in the HIV arena. And so through my work with the um, National HIV Vaccine Trial Network, um, we have learned that in all health disparities, African-Americans, be it diabetes, be it HIV, be it asthma, be it um, uh, child autism, that we are disproportionately impacted. And that is called a health disparity. So like all other health disparities, COVID is one that impacts African-Americans at a much higher risk. Then, so it's much more important that you get the message, that you address the elephant in the room, which Lois talked about, which is mistrust of medical systems and medical care providers due to history of what has happened throughout history uh, when it comes to uh, people of color. Next slide. Again, this is looking at vaccine rates of who had at least one dose, who completed their primary series, and how many people got their booster. As you see, African-Americans still have some ways to go. Uh, the NHOPI, uh, if people don't know who those are, those are your native Hawaiians and your other uh, Pacific Islanders, which have a high rate. A uh, multiracial seems to be doing pretty good, but as you see, African-Americans as compared to others, our vaccine rate is low uh, compared to others, but even lower is our booster rate. And we need to get that um, across to people that it is not over, that the booster, even if you've had COVID, and you have what you call an immune uh, response, uh, which is some protection. If you've had COVID and had the immune response and you have the booster on top of that, that's like having triple protection. So just because you've had it and you think you have a natural immune response to the uh, COVID vaccine uh, virus does not mean that you don't need the additional protection of the booster. Next slide. This is again um, showing you how the difference in ethnicity has impacted boosters. So the main thing is that we um, did pretty good in getting people the first and second, which is called their primary um, inoculations against uh, COVID. But when it came to boosters, African-Americans have fallen behind as you see in this graph. And out of all the graphs that show the health disparity among, if you're the lay person like I am presenting this to other groups, like I presented it to groups of uh, women that were living with HIV, being that that was a pre-existing condition. It also was a condition that impacts the immune system, putting them at even greater risk. 
that the boosters are very, very important in giving you that extra layer of protection. And people have gotten, uh, as, Lo as Lois said, uh, vaccine and COVID um, fatigue. And so after getting their first two series, we've seen the fatigue uh, uh, impact how people were getting their boosters. So the work still on the ground to be done is to increase the number of boosters put in the arms of African-Americans and all Americans. Next slide. And of course, you gotta know your symptoms. And we've been hearing these throughout the whole last two, three, four years. Coughing, shortness of breath, congestion, sore throat, fever, fatigue, headache, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, new loss of taste and smell. But with all of these symptoms, you also need to be acutely aware that if you have been vaccinated and boosted, you can still contract um, COVID and you can still pass it on to others. And if you are fully vaccinated and boosted, you may not have these symptoms. So routine testing is still a good thing to do and getting uh, any additional boosters that come down the pipe will also help. Next slide. I don't delay in testing or in treatment. Like I said, one of the disparities have been in the uptake of vaccines and of boosters, but also the uptake in treatment once someone has um, uh, COVID. Uh, the um, uh, Praxlovavig among African-American uptake is very low. Uh, physicians have not been talking with their um, um, clients about when do you take it, how do you take it, and whatever um, you may need to do has to be done within five days of knowing that you have COVID, that you can have the treatment uh, of the Paxlovid um, or whatever drug that there may be coming down the pipe that will help it. But don't delay in testing and don't delay in your treatment. Next. Most people at risk, people over 50, here I go in this group, uh, people that are unvaccinated are still the drivers of this epidemic and of hospitalization, deaths, and severity of illness is among the unvaccinated. Uh, some chronic conditions like heart disease, lung disease, diabetes, you know, um, uh, obesity, uh, these type of conditions, HIV, these type of conditions are chronic conditions that some of them impact the immune system, but they put you at higher risk from contracting um, um, COVID because your immune system is already weak from fighting these other conditions. And if you have a weakened immune system, you really need to consider getting the booster. Even if you've had your two primary shots, the booster is very important with underlying conditions. And you can still get COVID if you're vaccinated. As I say, always remember that. So always do your um, universal precautions and your preventative measures. If you're in large crowds, wear your mask. If you're around someone that has symptoms, wear your mask, social distance, and um, still take your precautions. But the vaccine makes it much likely that you'll be sick. It uh, will prevent you from dying. It will prevent the severity of the illness, even though it won't prevent you from getting it if you come in contact with it. Next slide. COVID treatment, that's the Paxlovid. It is uh, very effective, very good. It is the treatment that's for adults 
And for children 12 years and over, it is taken orally and is taken within five days of you getting infected. And people that I have spoken with that have taken the treatment, they have had a negative um, test result in a, a much shorter period of time than the five days or the seven days that normally it takes for you to get a negative test results. Taking the, um, the Plaxvovic in a matter of two to three days, people's symptoms have uh, dissipated and they're also able to get a negative test outcome. Uh, the treatment is very effective and you should talk to your healthcare provider if you have any symptoms or have tested positive for COVID. Ask them about treatment. Ask them about uh, Plaxvovic. Next. You can prevent COVID-19. Vaccinate, 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 vaccinate is what I say. Um, wearing masks, you, uh, we have relaxed our mask mandates in our state and city. So look at that around your particular area locally that most people in most cities now have um, the social distancing rules, the wearing the mask and publicly. All of those things have been uh, uh, relaxed. And in that spirit, you should vaccinate because if you're going to be able to relax the mandates of social distancing and wearing masks and get back into normal activities, the more people vaccinated, the more we can get back to our normal lives. Next. Face protection. Of course, you know the best protection is your N95 mask. You have your surgical mask and you have your cloth mask and then you have the mask that matches your outfit. So anything is better than nothing. But your best protection will be for the N95, which can be hard to wear. Now they're saying that before we were saying one use only of a mask that you don't use them uh, again. But they're trying to say now that if you um, uh, reuse your mask a couple of times, if you wore it today and you wear it tomorrow, then that is acceptable behavior now uh, in reuse of masks. But um, I prefer new ones each time, but that can be cost costly and not very cost effective. But wearing the mask is the best protection, even if you're vaccinated or unvaccinated. Next. Vaccinated is the most effective way to prevent COVID. As I said, my three um, battle cries is vaccinate, vaccinate, vaccinate. And that is the groundwork that has to be done uh, from our faith-based um, institutions and our churches is that we have to be the water bearers, that we have to be the ones that uh, continue because uh, people are going into vaccine fatigue, they're going into COVID fatigue, People are operating and trying to go into the mindset that it is over and it is not over. Uh, we are still in the grips of COVID. And so you still need to get vaccinated. It prevents serious illness. It prevents, de uh, prevents death. It makes your um, symptoms less severe. Uh, and uh, you don't miss as much work, uh, school and those types of things from getting COVID. Next slide. Next, how the vaccine works. On the round circle with the red spikes on it, that is the COVID um, cell, the COVID virus. And the uh, virus, once it enters the body, then the body will sound the alarm. That is the immune system. The immune system will kick in and go to work. 
It will send out fighter cells with antibiotics to go into action. And this is for COVID or anything that infects the body. The immune system will do these same steps. It will recognize, it will sound the alarm, it will disperse the antibiotics to go into action, and it will disperse antibiotics particularly geared to attack the COVID-19 virus and block and try to control it. The vaccine does this, your immune system does this. If you've had COVID and you have an immune response, it will do this. And so all of this is also supported and helped if you get a booster even after vaccines. Next. And then there are three types of vaccines. You got your mRNA, you got your protein subunits, and you got your vector. All these are different, and they use different ways to get the um, the protection into the body. Uh, one uses um, uh, cells to make harmless proteins that look like the virus, and then some of them, like the uh, subunit. They contain harmless pieces of protein unique to the COVID virus. And then you got the vector, which uses another virus that has safely been delivered and put into materials that um, uh, 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 combat COVID. All three ways are effective, regardless of whether it's an mRNA vaccine, a protein subunit, or a vector. All of them are in are, um are effective. The first two are like, the first one is like um, Pfizer and Moderna. Then you have Novavax, and then the vector is like J&J, &J, which is a one-shot vaccine. The others are two shots in the upper arm muscle. Next. And the booster. Uh, I, have, uh, um, I am the um, poster child for booster shots. Uh, if you have had your vaccinations, that you know that over time, the vaccine weans in its potency and its protection level. So as it weans the longer out from when you were originally vaccinated, that is the purpose of the booster. It's like um, uh, giving it an extra jolt, uh, extra help that you get. And the booster works against all variants of the, of the uh, virus, uh, regardless of uh, the new ones, the, uh, the Omicron, uh, it is um, providing a broader uh, level of protection. Next. What to expect when you get vaccinated? Uh, the vaccine will go into the upper muscle in the upper arm. Uh, it takes two to four weeks before you're fully protected from the, from the, after your second shot. And even after you're vaccinated, you um, can still pass on and get COVID-19. It just reduces the severity of your illness. It reduces the likelihood of death. And it also um, helps you um, not transmit it if you don't get it, if you're boosted, if you're, if you're vaccinated, then that's the best line of protection that we have right now. And you, you expect a little bit of soreness. You expect a little bit of... Um, uh, discomfort uh, after you've had the vaccine. Next. And vaccines for kids. This is so very important. Uh, kids are mu much less likely to be severely ill or sick, but children are one of the um, primary routes of getting vaccine back into the house and getting it back into your home because they're out among other young people with, 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 with young immune systems and they catch everything from colds to flu to everything. And so Moderna and Pfizer are approved for children 
um, six and over, uh, six months of age and over. So you, even your young babies, as they're going for their routine immunization shots, ask their primary care physician or your pediatrician, what about vaccinating my child or my infant once they reach six months of age? The NOVAC is authorized for children 12 and older. So this can be done if you have any type of um, relationship with school nurses, with your child's pediatrician, ask about the vaccine if they're 12 and older and have not been vaccinated. It is very important that kids get vaccinated. Next. And that is one of my challenges uh, from a layperson's uh, is that uh, they're, they're uh, and we'll get to one of the slides on the myths about the virus of the vaccine and about um, that it's um, too soon, it's new, it was rushed. All of these are myths that are totally untrue because the vaccines are totally safe and they are safe in adults as well as children uh, and in pregnant women. Uh, pregnant women are more likely to get sick from COVID. Uh, there's an increased risk of complication in their pregnancy that can affect the baby. And the vaccine is not associated with fertility problems in women or in men. And so if the woman is vaccinated, that vaccination also helps the child. It also helps the fetus. So not only are you doing a good thing for the mother, you're doing a good thing for the um, uh, upcoming child. Next slide. Common mild symptoms, side, side effects after getting COVID-19 vaccinations. Like I said, a little soreness in the upper arm because it is injected into a muscle. You may have a mild fever where you can take, you know, your over-the-counter ibuprofen or what have you for mild fevers. You may feel a little tired, fatigue. You may get a little headache, uh, muscle joints and aches, um, but uh, you can manage the side effects and they go away in a day or two. And... Um, Taking medicine for fever and pain if needed, uh, it, uh, release the uh, symptoms of the headache, mild fever, and those types of soreness issues. Next slide. And here we are at the miss. It was rushed. Researchers took no safety shortcuts. They have been working on vaccines from when they had the SARS outbreak, the HIV epidemic, they have been working on vaccines for a long time, so it was not rushed and it is safe. It changes your DNA. No, there's no DNA changes. Uh, it is possible this is an mRNA vaccine, so it does not impact your DNA. Uh, it can give you COVID. The vaccine doesn't contain a live strand of the COVID virus. It is made to not, um, you know, or prevent or the severity of getting COVID. It contains egg protein. It does not. It causes severe side effects. In most vaccines, they are light side effects, but severe side effects are very rare and seldom happen. It'll make women infertile. No, it won't make women or men infertile. And it's better to catch COVID-19 to gain immunity. As I said earlier, you will gain some immunity, but if you have had it and you have the immunity and whenever it is time after you, after um, the allotted time, you should be able to get your booster or your vaccines, which will add protection to that um, immunity that you gain from having COVID. It'll be like having, instead of having double protection, you'll have triple protection if you have an immunity response and you then go and get vaccinated. Next slide. 
Myocarditis is a inflammation of the uh, heart muscles. Uh, it happens. Uh, um, it happens after having COVID, and in rare instances, it has happened to people after being vaccinated. For some unknown reason, um, uh, I've had reports of it happening more frequently in in younger men, and particularly African American men. Um, uh, this, uh, the the um, signs of it should uh, dissipate uh, with medication and treatment um, when you when you do end up with it. But if you get uh, mitocarditis and unvaccinated, the severity of the damage that it can do far outweighs getting vaccinated. And if you develop it after vaccination, then the the severity of of, of the illness is much higher unvaccinated. Next. Like I said, you're more likely to be struck by lightning than get mitocarditis. Uh, long-term COVID, what do some people call long haulers, you have this. Most people recover from COVID within a couple of weeks, but when symptoms last more than a month or longer, if you have like mental health, that, that what they call COVID fog, where your memory and your thinking is slower, um, you have to... Um, uh, check with your physician about um, your kidney functions and having kidney failure, uh, musculoskeletal conditions, you know, aching and pains and stuff in the knees and the joints, uh, heart conditions, that's where the uh, myocarditis comes in, respiratory and lung problems because COVID is a respiratory infection, and blood vessels and blood clots are very common. So you need to talk to your healthcare provider if you have any of these symptoms that persist a month, two months after you've gotten over COVID. One in five adults ages 18 above will have some of these conditions, but most people will recover and resume their normal lives. Next. Long COVID is short, <laughs> in short. It's not short, it is long, and that's why it's long COVID. It can cause a variety of symptoms, like I said, and it can be difficult to diagnose. It can be difficult to document because in some cases, the impact of long COVID has caused disabilities that people are not getting over. So documenting it, getting your doctor to document it will be very beneficial if you have to apply for disability and may be considered a disability. If it's a severely enough impairment, then you will have to apply for disability and you do want to have these things documented. Uh, it can occur in anybody, but most importantly, it usually happens in people with underlying conditions. That's why it is of the utmost importance that if you have an underlying condition, if you have high blood pressure, if you have diabetes, if you're overweight, if you're over 50, if you have any of these underlying conditions, if you have HIV, that it is very important that you get vaccinated, that you get boosted, because the likelihood of you being a person that ends up with long COVID is increased because of your underlying conditions. And see a healthcare provider to develop a personalized medical treatment plan. Your physician, uh, I know a lot of people went to the medical university of the streets, but that does not qualify as sound medical advice. So we do hear things in the street. We do hear what people think and what happened to me might not happen to you. So you need to get the professional opinion of your care provider. Next. And children, 
This has been one of the slow intakes, uh, uptakes, especially among African-Americans is getting children vaccinated. And that, it was back to one of those slides on myths. And one of those myths being that it was rushed, that it was too early, that there hadn't been enough research on it. But generally, kids have mild symptoms when they do have COVID. And young people uh, that experience the disease, they can develop long COVID also. And worse outcomes come seems to be from children of color and children with disabilities. So it is urgent that if you have a child that has a disability, that you that it is imperative that they get vaccinated, that they get boosted, and that they are taken care of. And children of color seem to be at higher risk of, of getting COVID and also have higher rates of unvaccinations. Next slide. And take care of your mental health and take care of the mental health of children. We need to talk about COVID. The country has been in a traumatic situation. We've been traumatized. And in most cases of trauma, trauma usually needs some type of therapy. We have been in a traumatic situation as a nation, as a, as a, as a community, and as a world. And so this trauma has not addressed and we have not seen the full ramifications of what these years of living through this pandemic we've done to the mental health of our children. So let them ask questions, reassure them that they're safe, talk to them about the vaccination and why they need the vaccination, limit their exposure to, to the internet, the social media, to news that, that, that's coming from um, misinformation. Disinformation is one of the most harmful tools that will come across in the middle of this epidemic, a pandemic. Uh, uh, keep a regular, regular schedule, even if you're homeschooling, keep them on a regular schedule so that you don't disrupt their um, internal clock. Now, you know, just because they're not in school doesn't mean that they can stay up all night. Still keep them on the schedule and be a role model. Take a break, get plenty of rest. Let them see you get vaccinated. Let them see you exercise, eat well, and spend time with your child in a meaningful way and connect them with friends and family. But one thing you must do is to talk to them. If they have a question, if you don't know the answer, Tell them I'll be get back with you and I'll have an answer for them. But do not ignore their questions or do not a, um, talk around them, above them, and over them as if they weren't in the room when you're discussing COVID. Next. Uh, scientists predict that this will become an endemic. An endemic means that this will still be outbreaks in certain populations in certain areas. And, and they will continue to have outbreaks. And then you have an epidemic that will happen in different parts of the world, in different populations. And then the pandemic, which is the whole world and everybody at the same time getting uh, um, um, impacted by a particular disease. And so we are still in a pandemic. Uh, when it comes to COVID, we have not moved back to just being endemic, but that is the pro uh, projection, is that one day it will be just be an endemic disease, but saying that we will have a world without COVID, uh, I'm not foreseeing it with my layman's little mind, and the scientists have not come up with there will be a time when we will be free of COVID. There will still be sporadic outbreaks where it will get out of control. Next. So that's why we need to vaccinate to try to keep the control down. 
COVID-19 in the future. The Biden administration, um, um, Dr. Hall alluded to that, May 2023 will be when the public health emergency will end. And that means that vaccines will be uh, will not be free for all people. But because of the amount of the vaccine that the government purchased, they are saying that there will be enough to continue free vaccinations, but we don't know. We know that if you have um, insurance or children without insurance, uh, the uninsured, they will be able to access free vaccination because this is a public health issue. Adults with insurance will be uh, free and until the federally purchased supply runs out, then your insurance will probably have to pick up the cost of your vaccination. The FDA is looking to simplify guidance on vaccines and considering one annual vaccine. We haven't gotten to there yet. That's why we still have to have the boosters because the vaccine weans in potency over time. COVID is not over. It is not over. It is not over. Stay protected and let's get under one message, which is it's still a threat. There's new strands coming every day. Prevention measures are still needed. Vaccine is your best point of protection and also look out for the children. I was in an African nation and I can't even remember where and but they had when they greeted each other, they when they translated what it meant, like we say hello or someone else, other countries say, you know, different things as the greeting. The when they translated it into English, what the greeting was, it meant. Every time they greeted one another and, and their way of saying hello was to ask, how are the children? And so that's what I leave you with. How are the children? Do we have a plan to make sure that the children and that our future is secure in the middle of the COVID pandemic? Next, I think I'm about done. I think you are done, Vivian. I, <laughs> I thank I'm you done. so much. I, I, and thanks Lois for coming back on screen. We only have eight minutes left. There is a couple of questions I wanna put out there to you all to answer, but I also wanna um, remind folks that we can provide this slide set to you. Mm -hmm. You can, there is a recording of this. So, I mean, Vivian is a committed community health um, advocate and you could see that, you know, she really learned her stuff and is going out and giving this talk. Um, but we will update it. And there are additional slides which have resources and case studies as well. But so please don't hesitate to reach out for the slides. Uh, we have a question here. Uh, well, we have two questions here that I um, am seeing. I wanna read this one though. With Medicaid unwinding, we have a risk of increasing mistrust when folks lose access especially those used that can't navigate the system. Um, how can we apply lessons learned and integrate this for sustained access? Someone else has answered that question other than me. I'm in South Carolina. We are a state that did not take Medicaid expansion. So we have access issues to healthcare that's so someone that has Medicaid expansion might could you know, access that, that answer. Lois, do you have any yeah. thoughts? Well, I, I actually really love the question and, and realized that there is no easy answer to this because I think we've learned 
so much through the pandemic and so much how much value there is in ensuring access to vaccines and to to healthcare more generally i think what we really need to do is talk to our legislators talk mm -hmm. to them to make them understand that you know people people that are in need of these services are generally at high risk so you're going to be paying one way or another so the idea of not expanding these medicaid services uh you know is just you know, very, very frustrating. And, you know, I think what is most valuable is speaking out, making sure that you're talking to your health departments, because I think one of the things that they've done through the, the work of COVID or through the pandemic is shined a light on the need to improve access in certain areas. So that, um, and it's not just about payment. It's also about you know transportation, bringing uh, services to people that are homebound or can't get out, bringing other services like food or you know other medications, things like that, to the people and talking about other things. So the best, I think, the best learning or the best solution is to to state you know how well this has worked really study how this has worked, you know, provide some evidence, but to really speak out and make sure that your legislatures, your your media, everybody knows so these services can continue. It's a conversation that we're constantly having with donors because it's very frustrating that, you know, money is going towards the pandemic, but it's not going towards longer term uh, you know, provision of healthcare and to provide access. Yeah, I want to just um, say how frightened I am in terms of, you know, we really, I think in the last three years, so it, I would never want to repeat, saw a, a greater awareness in the general public as to health disparities, racial health disparities. Mm -hmm. And we also saw like um, people at the community level working to improve access, you know, being out in the community, being in the churches, um, having free vaccines. And, you know, all along the folks we work with have said, we really fear that, you know, one day everybody's just gonna go home and they won't, pay attention to our, you know, complete public health and health needs. And I'm, I'm hoping that NMQF and SHC can work with you guys in the community, you great people out in the community to stay informed and to, um, you know, really promote access in your community. <clears throat> so that's my little um, sermon there, forgive me. Um, we have one more question that I think we have time for. What are the recommendation guidelines for those who've received the COVID-19 primary vaccinations and bivalent booster vaccine? So we have two people who asked a version of this question. How many boosters? Anybody have any um, thoughts on that? Lois, do you have um, uh, information on that? 
Well, the only information I have is that it's under discussion right now. So there isn't a recommendation for an additional booster until uh, it, it is recommended first by the FDA, and then it will go to CDC to make that recommendation. So for the time being, I would say hold tight. You know, if I had a crystal ball, I would guess that at some point there would be a recommendation for boosters, but they're looking at all of the information, including, you know, what are the most recent variants that are out there? Uh, when we get a, you know, a, a broader vaccine, something that can cover most variants, I think that's that's when you'll get the recommendations, but for the time being, uh, they're looking at whether the bivalent booster should be used at, on an annual basis or not, but that decision should be coming soon. I just don't know when. Similar to your flu vaccine, every year you get a vaccination. You know, we had one last year and people have gotten used to that. And I think it's gonna be part of our new norm that until, we get a handle that we will be looking forward to our annual booster for COVID. And so I'm gonna just wrap it up and, and say, the slides actually have a lot of links because the truth mm -hmm. is things are changing over time, right? Um, we have a commitment at SHC to go through the slides every couple, three months and see if there's anything you know important to change, but there are links that will take you to places that um, um, on the on the web for most current information. So I want to just thank Vivian and Lois. Uh, your commitment and your talent um, are really amazing. So I'm giving you a little round of applause. Everyone, please feel free to email me at llhall at nmqf.org if you have questions or to get a copy of the slides and materials and have a blessed weekend everyone thank you thank you thank you happy spring happy spring <laughs>